Hello and welcome to episode 134 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the most unclean. This week we're going to be talking about Constantine on your Finger Lickin' Good podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Math- Nope. I'm at- I- well, I am at Matthew Vose, but I also rushed into this sentence without thinking about what I was going to say. <laughs> Would you like to start over? No. <laughs> or do you want to keep that no. in, just like that? Podcasting's not a form where you can start over. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Constantine. Well, you're editing this one anyway, exactly. so it's whatever you want it exactly. to be. Exactly. I'm Matthew Vose. I have seen this film. I have seen this film a lot. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Uh, I did see that you rated it 9 out of 10. Yeah, for the second time. So we are... Th- this might be a first. We have covered this uh, this film on Across the Arrowverse. Oh, which okay. we are now in full flow for season two of Across the Arrowverse. But in our one of our hiatuses between bits of the season mm-hmm. last year we watched constantine because Catherine had never seen it okay. my wife had never seen it so we watched it there we talked about it there but because as we'll talk about there is a arrowverse show and character of constantine because he's, mm-hmm. he's a dc comics character so we were like well we want to watch that but i felt like we should watch this first because it is kind of part of the conversation of it um oh see i knew you had done the limited tv show mm-hmm. and talked about him on like guesting on legends and stuff i didn't realize you had done the movie yes we did the movie as well i will link to that in the show notes i always say show notes i always wonder if people like what are show notes there's details about that's what they're called well they are but but you know there's never a description of them the the details in your podcast app browser window wherever you're listening to us uh there's a list of links in there about subscribing and rating and following and how to contact us as well as useful stuff and interesting things about the episode that we're doing and one of those yes. will be a link to our Across the Arrowverse episode. I'm going to try not to mention the same stuff, so it's worthwhile listening to that one and what I thought over there. Particularly because I listened okay. back to it this week. I'm like, wow, my wife's really smart. She comes up with really good points on this. Wow, I, I need to step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now the bar just got set really high for me to like say smart things about this movie, and I'm not sure I'm going to meet that, you will, that bar. You absolutely so. will. Uh, Constantine. It's a superhero superhero movie. It's a comic book movie. He's not really a superhero. Um, mm-hmm. It's a comic book movie. It's in the 2000s. It's a character you've heard of. It's Keanu. How come you never watched Constantine? I was not yet aware in 2005 that I enjoyed comic book movies. Ooh. Like, we okay. hadn't hit that MCU renaissance yet. Right. You know, Iron Man didn't come out till 2008, I think. 2005 this was completely not even on my radar i think i saw i probably saw that it was based on a dc comic and i was like eh, nope (laughs) i'm out that's fair this is a little bit of a cult hit not everyone has seen this so do you want to tell the people at home what it's about if they haven't all right it is about a man named john constantine who is a demonologist who spends his life sending demons back to hell When Detective Angela Dodson is convinced that her twin sister's death was not a suicide, Constantine agrees to help her find out more. 
Nice. It's a good setup. And it really kind of feels like those two sentences have absolutely nothing to do with each other. And they don't unless you watch the movie and then they kind of do. Yeah. We, right? We'll get into how it's constructed because there's, there's <laughs> the, the, the film is doing work for you and expecting you to do work to catch up. So. Yeah. Uh, some background history. Constantine. Constantine is a 2005 film of many genres. Many, many genres in this film. Mm-hmm. Film noir, detective, comic book, super paranormal, fantastical, religious action thriller. Um, <laughs> directed by Francis Lawrence and starring Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weiss. <laughs> this is my fiance, Rachel Weiss. Weiss. Um, Shia LaBeouf and Tilda Swinton. It is based on the Hellblazer comic book series. Although they transplanted John Constantine to America, they made him American, they made him look like Keanu Reeves instead of Sting, and then they changed his backstory and how it related to the occult and demons. The film was a mixed success. It made $230.9 million against a $100 million budget. That was not the return that the studio expected from the film. Critics were impressed by some of the performances and the set pieces, but they didn't enjoy the film's overall lack of focus and sprawling plots. Keanu Reeves and Francis Lawrence have talked about wanting to do a sequel over the years. As recently as May this year, Keanu said in an interview with Variety that he had a blast playing the character and would love to return to that world. Constantine Stroke Hellblazer was adapted into a TV show by NBC with Matt Ryan playing the once again Liverpudlian chain-smoking conman. It ran for 13 episodes before cancellation. And then the character, still played by Ryan, has had guest appearances on Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and an animated web series uh, of his own, as well as the animated movie Justice League Dark. And then he was a main character on season four of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I didn't realize that he got promoted to a regular Mm. on last season. That shows just how far behind I am on these shows. Yeah, they have set up that season five is going to be a lot more about his backstory as well. Um, hmm. So again, go and listen to the two across the Arrowverse because because we dig into some of this stuff quite deeply. It's fascinating how when he's on Legends, he is still the star of his own show. You could, I'm sure, take out all the Constantine scenes and just put them together as Constantine season two. It's really interesting. Okay, but interesting. but we do we enjoy. Uh, Matt Ryan in that performance. And they have mm-hmm. made him once again bisexual, which is a core tenet of the character. Okay. That's okay. interesting. Good to know. How were you able to watch this? This is one that Joseph owns because he loves it. Okay. And has seen it probably a dozen times, if not more, over his life. And as soon as he realized this was what I was watching last night, he dropped what he was doing to sit down and watch it with me. Okay. Okay. So... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you said that with a grimace. So, hooray, family time in front of the TV. Good, good, good. <laughs> no, no, the act of watching the movie together was wonderful. <laughs> um, Some of our differing opinions oh, afterwards oh, oh. were less so. I'm firmly in the Joseph camp on this. I saw this at the cinema. I own the two-disc edition that came with a, uh, a comic book as well. So it's a proper okay. package of it. Um I've watched this at least half a dozen times okay. just with different people in different situations. It is it is a very easy one to just leave on and watch. Um, it's on Sky Cinema in the UK at the moment. They have a DC Heroes channel because they've just added Aquaman to their lineup. Mm. There are two films on the DC Heroes channel that I have not seen. So, Mandy and listeners at home, feel free to have some guesses of what two DC films I have never watched. Um... 
That would require I actually have a knowledge of DC films. Did you ever watch Justice League? Yeah, I love Justice League. I like Justice League the more I watch it. Okay. Unlike Age of Ultron. Age of Ultron, the more I watch it, the more I go, oh, God. Um, All right. Hang on. I'm doing a quick Google of DC movies. <laughs> Suicide Squad. No, I own it. The Joker? Jared Leto's Joker? That's not it, yeah. So, oh. so yes, I haven't seen it, but it's not on the DC Heroes channel. <laughs> All right. I don't know. No, I'm in the Joseph camp. I, I do love this film very much. Okay. Good. I, I actually watched it with the commentary on because I was like, I don't really need to watch it again. I can watch commentary this time. Right. That's absolutely. Well, then great. You might have some wonderful insights to things that I am unaware of from watching the movie. Possibly so. This is our third film in Keanu Reeves month. Uh, so mm-hmm. go back and listen to our Point Break episode if you want to hear more about Mandy's experience of Keanu and our general thoughts on Keanu. Uh, so let's talk about Francis Lawrence, the director, and then Rachel Weisz, Charlotte Booth, and Tilda Swinton. What is your experience of them? Well, the most important thing that Francis Lawrence ever did was he directed Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing music video. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, his music video list is longer than his movies list. Right. And, um, and so he's, you know, big stuff. Big stuff. Like, he's done Britney Spears. Will Smith. Destiny's Child. Whitney Houston was on there. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, he directed the um, the music video for Michelle Branch's "Goodbye to You" song. Which, of course, is my Buffy reference yeah. because it's such an <laughs> iconic, sad Buffy song. Even though this video has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Movie-wise, he did direct the Hunger Games trilogy. He did. So he I've did seen all of those. Three of the Hunger Games films, not the whole trilogy. Yes, because he didn't do the first That's one. That's true. Of course, um, he also did I Am Legend. Mm-hmm. You ever seen I Am Legend? Is that the Will Smith zombie movie? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then I did see it. Okay. Um, and he directed Red Sparrow. Have not seen. Which. When, if again, listening to the episode that I did with Catherine on this, we're like, oh, he directed Red Sparrow. Yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing that. Don't watch Red Sparrow. <laughs> it, it hates women and it lets you know it. And it was, oh, it was no. not a fun okay. watch. So, Okay. Mm. All right. Um, Rachel Weiss, I will always and forever know her as Evie from The Mummy. Yeah. Well, I am the only person within a thousand miles who knows how to properly code and, and catalogue this library. That's why. Always. Like, I know she's done other things, but that is who she is in my mind. Mm. Um, yeah. Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf, however you say his name, Transformers, <laughs> and then Holes and Disturbia. I've never seen Holes. It's not that good. Oh, okay. But the book's not that good either, so, <laughs> you know. It does have Sigourney Weaver in it, though, so oh, I think. That's... I'm pretty sure she was the... I'm... Hopefully I'm right on that. I'm pretty sure it was Sigourney I, Weaver. I, I think you that. might be right there as well, yeah. And okay. and welcome to the podcast, Tilda Swinton. I'm very happy. <laughs> Finally, we're doing a formal film she was cast in. 
Right. I was actually surprised looking at the list at how many things I haven't seen that mm-hmm. she's done mm-hmm. because I'm so super aware of who she is. Yep. Um, I I didn't know who she was until the Chronicles of Narnia yeah. came out. Yeah. That was my first introduction to her. Edmund, you look so cold. Come and sit with me. Um, the other like bigger things that I've seen, she was in Snowpiercer. This is so disappointing. C'est trop décevant. Es una muy grande desilusión. No, no, we don't need all that. I've only got seven minutes. Have you seen she obviously she was. Have you seen she it? She was. Yes. Oh, okay. I hated it. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I enjoyed They're it. also doing a reboot of it. Have you seen this? Amazon is doing it. I don't understand because it looks identical with just different actors. Yeah. Um, and then she was in Doctor Strange and Endgame, I think. Yeah. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole. You've spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole, to see more, to know more. And now, on hearing that it can be widened in ways you can't imagine, you reject the possibility. As the ancient one. My favourite bit of Endgame. (laughs) I'd be careful going that way. We just had the floors waxed. Yeah, other than that, I really am not super familiar with her work. I know she was in... There's something about Kevin. We have to talk about Kevin. We have to talk about Kevin. Which I've seen, but I don't remember anything about it. Okay. At all. You've not seen it then. (laughs) It's a film about violence in schools and the kids who perpetrate it. It is a hard film. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I just thought I did. Um, But yeah, that's it. She's not somebody that I've really experienced much of. Yeah, she has quite a film. She's uh, only a, a couple of years older than Keanu. And they both started mm-hmm. working about the same time, but she started very much, she's British, um, and she started very much in sort of lower budget indie films. And that has continued. She has done quite a wide range, but then she started working with sort of author directors. Her and Luca Guadagino have done a number of films together, but interesting French or Italian films or remakes of okay. Italian films and so on. And I think she's a wonderful actress. She's always mesmerizing when she's on screen. And yeah, you can just pick up any of her films and go, oh, this will be interesting. Right, yeah. right. I mean, I knew that you were a big fan because yeah. you've talked about her before. Mm-hmm. So, and and then there's just lots of other people in this that I think we will pick up as we go through because I think going through the characters will be an interesting combo. Um, similar material to this. It's easier for TV than film. I, I think we talked last week in Devil's Advocate about End of Days and Stigmata. <laughs> And maybe mm-hmm. others, but since then there have been TV shows like Supernatural, Legion, um, and other occult stories. And then obviously there's Constantine and other things. Um, let's just talk about your familiarity and enjoyment of those sorts of things. Um, I absolutely love Supernatural. Okay. I don't know that we've talked about that on the show before, but I am firmly in the camp that it has gone on for entirely too long, but I will still watch it anyway. It's now a race between that and Grey's, which will end first. Oh, well, Supernatural is definitely a day. Oh, this it? next season's going to be their last. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. 15, I think, is going to be okay. its last. So um, I've seen, you know, like we talked about, I've seen the character Constantine on Legends and Arrow, but that version is very, very different than the version we had in this movie. Yeah. Um, we talked about Stigmata last week. I've seen it's similar only in source material, like the way it relates demonology to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't always done whenever you talk about 
this kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the demons in Buffy, it's very a-religious. That's fair, yeah. It's not heaven versus hell, good versus... It's good versus evil, but it's not God versus Satan. You yeah, know? it's more about Wicca and Pagan and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so I'm a big fan of, like, supernaturally things. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, However you want to say that, absolutely. Yeah, I think that sentence got away from me a little bit. Okay, but... so, so you kind of hinted at something here. Did you enjoy Constantine? <laughs> um, that's a difficult question for me to answer at this point. Okay. Um, I found it very, very interesting, but I was also so super confused all the way through it like i had to stop taking notes i don't know like i got to 16 notes in my doc most of them were what just happened i don't understand this is so confusing i had to just put it down so i could focus on what was happening on the screen Good. Fair. so i think that if i watch it a few more times i will absolutely be able to say i enjoyed it but i think that and i think you hinted at this a little bit the movie is requiring the audience to do a lot of heavy lifting mm-hmm. that is impossible to do on the first watch particularly for somebody who's not familiar with the backstory the comics okay. and the the general world okay. at large and and that might be part of why i like it so much i like a film that makes me work for it mm-hmm. that is still it's still enjoyable in that you know i've seen poncy swedish you know <laughs> intense dramas and so on that make you work that are just okay you were doing that for flair i like this because it's the sort of mm-hmm. film that i like but when you say you found it interesting can we address that mm-hmm. first what was interesting about it what what did you like well, i mean the subject matter itself is is fascinating to me i have always enjoyed the idea of beings from another existence, plane, dimension, whether it's heaven and hell or if it's actually, you know, like a multiverse kind of thing Mm -hmm. where you can cross from one world to another. She she says this with a TARDIS poster behind her. A TARDIS blanket behind you. Yeah. Um, and, and so just from that perspective, the subject matter to me is interesting. And then once you start putting rules into place, um, that are guided by, religion or a particular religious ideology like Catholicism, Mm. it just becomes layered and nuanced in a way that I find fascinating. I don't, I don't really know a better way to say that other than I just think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so very much this is a style and genre film that you like. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I would agree with you. I think that take that actually, I'm going to say the religions are real. The beliefs of the religions are real. <laughs> mm-hmm. The belief in higher power, in demons, in the temptation of man, in... Uh, and, and there is an implication in this, the re- the belief of every religion is real in mm-hmm. different ways uh, because he goes through a number of different options. Certainly when he's doing the exorcism at the beginning of which mystical thing cast on the thing will cause it pain, right. that sort of thing. Um, right. yeah. But it is still very much set in our world. And like you mm-hmm. say, with a heavy Judeo-Christian slant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk the confusion. Okay. I was trying to figure out how to explain this, particularly to someone like you, right. who has seen it so many times, you're so well-versed in what has happened, why things are happening. Like, you don't even have to think about it. No. Did the movie actually explain this to you, or have you just figured it out because you've seen it? a billion times, okay. right? Um, so this was a conversation Joseph and I were having last 
last night right. after I watched it. And I was having a really hard time articulating why I felt confused. Mm. And so I actually Googled, why was the movie Constantine confusing? <laughs> nice. And I came across this uh, thread on Reddit that's actually somebody was asking why the movie was considered bad. Mm, okay. I don't think it's considered bad. But one of the responses to it kind of directly addressed my feelings on it. And so I wanted to read it just because it it says it so much better than I did. Okay. But it is exactly the, the things that I was feeling kind of articulated. Okay, go ahead. Okay? So this person said – out of the gate, it had several strikes against it. First, it was an adaptation of a lesser-known comic that wasn't particularly faithful to the source material. Fans were alienated, and newcomers were confused by the deeper universe and mythology only hinted at in the movie. There were several half-hearted attempts to flesh out the world of the comics, but they raised more questions than they answered. Also, the plot was confusing. You start with twins, where one is dead, but she's psychic, and the one that's alive sees her in dreams, and she's in hell because she committed suicide. Only she would never do that, but she had an important message or something. Demons are introduced and immediately break a rule we didn't know about until after it happened. And despite never breaking through to our world, the hero has modern weapons to fight them. Satan has a grudge against the main character for reasons unexplored, and side characters unceremoniously enter and exit the narrative without any sense of importance. He's also not the bad guy, and who the real bad guy is changes like four times. Lastly, it was just poorly laid out. When the main character needs something, he immediately goes to a place that didn't exist before, meets a person that didn't exist before, who helps him for reasons we didn't know about before, and gets an item that didn't exist before and is exactly what he needs at that point in the plot. The whole story is like walking through a dark void where the footpath materializes under your feet. Yeah, it had some cool visuals and the effects were fun. Even the acting was better than average for most of the cast, but it wasn't good. I disagree with that. I think it was good. Too long, don't read. Good movie show rather than tell. This movie tells us everything. Okay. Okay. Can you pick out from there the points that really apply to you? Let's dig into and see if I can explain that. I'm interested to hear what in your conversation with Joseph has helped you sort of comprehend it more and come to a place where you can talk about it. Um, well, I think just like out, I don't want to say out of the gate because that's what this guy said, but like right up front, the his second line, newcomers were confused by the deeper universe and mythology only hinted at in the movie. Right. I felt like it wanted me to know how this world worked without explaining how this world worked. Okay. You know, I came out of it with questions like if Constantine automatically like he he committed suicide and failed or was brought back or whatever you know he's not the only person in the world who has done this right mm -hmm. presumably this happens every day so why is he special why is he the one who knows about demons and is fighting to put them back when there are thousands of other people who go through this every day why are they not coming back also doing this okay so that creates a question in my mind about how the world works okay. I, I can I can headcanon it, but yeah, that's fair. Right. I And I think that was the first thing I brought up with Joseph last night, and he didn't understand my question. He felt like it was something that was irrelevant to the story and didn't need to be answered. Um, and maybe that's exactly why. It's, it's headcanon. You mm -hmm. know, if you've seen this movie a dozen times, then there's a lot of nuance that you've probably picked up on repeat watches that somebody who's only watched it once wouldn't necessarily have gotten. Yeah, that's fair. And if I watch it a handful more times, I might. Maybe. You know, because I'll be past the initial chaos mm. and start picking up on 
subtle hints, you know, subtle visual, subtle word choices, yep. things that I didn't recognize the first time. And I, I understand that. And I, you know, I'm, I want to watch it again. I want to say that up front. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think this is something that, oh my God, it was horrible. And I never want to try to watch it again. It was a waste of two hours of my life. That's not true. It just wasn't. I felt like it wasn't a complete and whole story for a newcomer to this world. I felt like I was dropped in the middle of a story that was already being told. That's actually probably the best way for me to put it. Okay. Um, Does that make sense at all? Yes. So just to wrap up the point of the headcanon, I'm going to give you my headcanon. See if it helps. Okay. He commits suicide because he can see these demons and he has gone through therapy and electrolysis. Electrolysis? Mm-hmm. Electroshock therapy? Not electrolysis. Electroshock that's, therapy. That's yeah. Like in water and stuff, isn't it? He dies. He goes to hell. He comes back a lifetime later, although he's only been dead for two minutes. Because mm-hmm. he could already see the demons, he can remember hell. Maybe people who can't see the demons can't remember the hell, the afterlife experience. Okay. And that's why not other people. But you are also right. Like the, the film does quite a bit of work as well to show us that whilst this world exists, it is a secret world that the rest of us don't realize. The bit, the mm-hmm. bit where all the scavengers attack them and he lights the shroud and it burns them all away, they disintegrate. So there's not mm-hmm. even any proof that he could then go, right, and now I'll marshal them. You only have the proof of right. what you actually see, not what's lasting before you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and then even in addition to that, though, this kind of fits into that same vein to get Angela to be able to see it again. Mm-hmm. Like he drowned her. Essentially, that's what happened. And I was like, well, there were a couple of things, a couple of questions that I had in that scene. One, because she's willing to do this, does that count as suicide? Because she's dying and coming back so that she can see them. Is he holding her down so that it doesn't? Yeah. Why why is the way to get this vision back that you have to see hell? Why can't you do something that makes you see something else? Why did, I don't know, like there were just so many questions and it just felt, it didn't feel complete. Okay, so and, and those are choices that I think the film has made that maybe didn't carry you along. Let's go to mm-hmm. the, the second bit you talked about, about, and I think I've now forgotten it, but talking about the world and mm-hmm. sort of buying into it and understanding it and so on. And yes, it, that is something that is informed by the other media you've potentially taken in and your understanding of judeo-christian mythology and religion mm-hmm. so perhaps because you, you've actually reminded me so we talked last week in the devil's advocate i was expecting it to be a thing about the balance right and the devil right. is trying to win and god is trying to win <laughs> in inverted commas it wasn't actually you helped me understand like actually devil's advocate is not about that thing the devil has won and the devil is trying to take over earth now Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not actually about doing good or doing bad and making a choice between the two things. This film is about that, and and I, yes. I and I have a feeling that my knowledge of this film, perhaps I saw this before Devil's Advocate, which is why it's being informed. But you've also helped me realise there was a film that came out be- the year before this that is about the balance and explains the balance okay. in detail up front. Okay. With flat, not flashbacks, a, a, a prologue that shows you the difference between the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a film on the list. Well, you have to tell me what it is now. The film's called Night Watch. And Night Watch. It's, we're probably going to do it next February. Because next time I get to choose okay. and insist on doing a film for my birthday. 
Nightwatch <laughs> is the one that's at the forefront of my mind because I do love that film. Um, and that is okay. absolutely about that. So, yes, because I know certainly by the point Constantine came out, I had consumed that film and that book. Mm-hmm. It would have informed me in this and gone, oh, okay, it's that story. Okay, that makes sense. That. So, yes, I can I can also understand coming into this and going, crikey, this is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and the film doesn't give you stuff as you go along about, you know, you meet Gabriel, but there's no thing of like, oh, by the way, Gabriel is kind of one of the right hand of God people who is here on mm-hmm. Earth to help as a half-breed, but is a good half-breed. With the exception that but Gabriel's... Not. Yeah, with the exception that Gabriel's hanging out in the church in that first scene, there's no explicit explanation of what that is. There's no even thing of, by the way, Satan was one of the angels who then turned on God and got cast out and created their own place called hell. Mm-hmm. It just accepts that you know this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we know this stuff because we live in a Western world and most people probably do. Right. Whether you know it in detail or not, but this film is not giving you any of that. No, and I, I think specifically around Tilda Swinton's character, and, and she played it fabulously, by the way. You know, she she plays androgynous very, very well. And I think Gabriel was a character where you weren't supposed to know if what side they were on, mm-hmm. really. I mean, you assume Gabriel is on the side of God. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're from what church. we know... Yeah. When they're in a church, Gabriel is an archangel, you know, one of the best of the best of, of God's army or whatever. Um, but this movie, from the beginning when we meet Gabriel in the conversation that he has with Constantine, mm-hmm. she, he, it, whatever, has with Constantine, you get the sense that good is not necessarily the right word to use. Okay. I'm not sure what the right word is, um, thinking about it, because good to an angel and good to a human are different. Mm-hmm. And I think Gabriel embodies that very well, yeah. you know, and it's it's one of those things where Gabriel is like, well, you know, you had a chance and you blew it. So now you're just stuck, mm. you know, and he he was trying to be helpful in a very not helpful way. That culminates, of course, with him t- telling Constantine, well, you know, you're just fucked. Yeah. Um, and, and so you think in that moment, in that conversation, that he really is still trying to speak for God mm-hmm. on behalf of God and doing God's will. But then when Gabriel shows back up at the end, it's unclear. To me, it was very unclear what was actually happening there. Right. Okay. Because of my preconceived knowledge about Gabriel, my expectation there was that he was trying to bring Mammon forth to kill Mammon. Okay. And after finishing the movie, talking to Joseph, reading some other things, I've come to believe that's not actually what was happening in the movie. No. That Gabriel was actually kind of teamed up with Mammon to bring Mammon forth to change the balance of power and break the rules. Yes. And if that's what happened, then the world still doesn't make sense to me because we weren't given enough information about Gabriel to understand who he was and why he would do this. Right. And so it just left me confused. So so Tilda Swinton as Gabriel was in two scenes. Scene in the church mm-hmm. and then scene at the end where they've teamed up with Mammon and, like you say, are bringing Mammon forth and has a right. monologue 
in that end sequence about why they are doing this, I'm assuming then that the detail of that didn't land for you. No, I don't. It, okay. it must not have. Okay. Or isn't it in that edition? Is this always a possibility thing? Because because they they do a thing, and and again, something I love in a film is when films get it right. Do you know? I did a really interesting sort of training thing during the week, and one of the things was about dealing with peers and trying to get a project working with someone who was obstructive to that project. And they did it in such a way they had actors playing these parts, and we could pretend to be the person, the sort of person driving the project forward, and we had to interact with the person as the character and ask some questions and talk about it and try to get a good resolution and and the character rebecca kept being described as difficult and obstructive and this sort of thing and and the guy running the session actually said i'm just going to check in with rebecca rebecca how's it going she's like well it's interesting they keep describing me as difficult i'm not difficult who on earth describes themselves as difficult and this is the same thing <laughs> i always think about with villains a good villain doesn't think they're the villain they right. are doing things for a good purpose and they believe in what they are doing. If you mm-hmm. are the, you know, Ronan the Accuser, shouty, just wanting to destroy, it's not the most interesting. And this is kind of, you know, the thing the MCU has never quite gotten quite right. Mm-hmm. But in this, I love the fact that Gabriel doesn't see himself as a villain. Gabriel is saying mankind gets to re- uh, repent and asked to be welcomed into heaven and you are welcomed into heaven. Each one of you granted redemption from the Creator. Murderers and rapists and molesters. All of you, you just have to repent. And God takes you into his bosom. In all the worlds, in all the universe, no other creature can make such a boast, save man. Mm. And I do remember that. And if you are if if that if you are allowed to have that, I am gonna make you worthy of yes, that sweet, by unleashing hell on earth. Loves you so. Then I'll make you worthy of his love. I've been watching you for a long time. It's only in the face of horror that you truly find your nobler self. And you can be so noble. So, I'll bring you pain. I'll bring you horror. So that you may rise above it. So that those of you who survive this reign of hell on earth will be worthy of God's love. And it's just such a, like, Gabriel absolutely believes in helping mankind here become the best that they can be through unleashing hell. And it's like, well, that's some deep thinking stuff. Okay. I can tell you exactly why I didn't pick up on that, because I was stuck already on the idea that Gabriel is sitting there saying all man has to do is repent and ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. to be allowed into hell Heaven. in the same breath as saying John Constantine can't because he did this thing. Mm-hmm. He did this one thing that is unforgivable. Therefore, no matter how hard he tries to make up for it, no matter how much good he does, he can't and to me those two ideas are mutually exclusive i, I would agree and so with you. i yeah. got stuck on that before she finished her her monologue yeah. so i have the same problem with it uh, again i can head canon it but this is absolutely my explanation that the line in that first scene so there's two scenes again with tilda swinton in the first scene she has the moment of you're dying young because you smoked 30 cigarettes a day since you were 13 and you're going mm-hmm. to hell because of the life you took and yes. I don't think that's something you can say, I repent, because that's an action. You can't 
I, I don't know. No, no, now I'm doubting myself on that. But the other side of that is not only can he potentially not repent that, I don't know that John would want to repent. John was driven to that thing and he would not want to say, yes, sorry for doing that thing because he believes mm-hmm. it is God's will that drove him to do that thing. God gave him these these powers, this sight, this mm-hmm. curse, and that drove him to do the thing. So why would he want to say sorry? He knows God exists, so he mm-hmm. has a lot of pride about that thing. I guess that's true. The, the film does not give us that. The film does not yeah. give us a line of, except you can't repent because you're too proud, too prideful. Right. Well, it goes a different direction. It says, because you know that this is real, you can't have faith. Oh, yeah, yeah. What does he want from me? Only the usual. Self-sacrifice. Belief. I believe for Christ's sake. No, no, you know. And there's a difference. You've seen. I never asked to see. I was born with this curse. A gift, John. You can't believe because you know. Mm. And I, I find that idea fascinating, mm. and I wish it had been explored more. Yeah. But it felt like a throwaway line. Uh, yeah, the, the idea that he can't deport demons back to hell and and put the scales back in the other way because it's in his self-interests. He's right. not doing it yeah. as a, I hope this will get me enough. He is saying, I put enough coins in the machine, I will get a redemption cookie out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas the thing at the end is a an actual self sacrifice, and he's not think he is accepting he's going to hell. Mm-hmm. So because that sacrifice is different than any other sacrifice he could make, yeah, no, that's a really good catch. Actually, yeah, he can't repent because he'd just be doing it out of selfish reasons. Right. Whereas the, the yeah, sacrifice at true. the end is not a selfish thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. Let's talk Keanu. Okay. By the way, dear listener, we're going to loop back around to Tilda Swinton. Trust me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's just get Keanu out of the way first. No. All right. I, I think this is a really interesting point in Keanu's career. We talked about we were going to go through them and have, um, you know, early in his career, but one of the first big films was Point Break. Then another big film mm-hmm. with him against Al Pacino. Him in this sort of weird genre period that he went through, which lasted a good 10 years. And then him in John right. Wick coming back into Superstardom. Okay. This is in some ways, at the very least outside of his sort of rom-com comedy roles, the first film he's in where he is not the rookie new person into the world, the audience's way into the world to understanding it. This is the first time in his career I think he plays someone who is in power, who does have the knowledge of what's going on, and... It has to be brought out by someone else, and he has to be brought mm-hmm. into the story. He's not the story that's going on about Mammon. John is not part of that. Right. He is brought into it. It's just the film's called Constantine, so we're following him. Right. I think it's really interesting to suddenly come to this point in the career, and and I do wonder if that has affected you as well, because you're watching this as though like, oh, I'm going to watch John Constantine's story. It right. It becomes his story. It's actually Rachel Weiss's story. Hmm. Except at the end, their roles shift, which again is some interesting building work it's doing with the two characters. What do you think on that transition? I think I hadn't really considered it in those terms. And I think that's a a really good like perspective shift for me that is actually a little bit helpful because I was thinking that maybe part of what lent so much to my confusion was that he was so in the know. Mm. Like we were dropped in the middle of his life without knowing his backstory for as someone who never read the comics 
Like, I didn't know his backstory. I didn't know – if I hadn't read the movie synopsis um, on Amazon or whatever, I would not know that he had actually literally been to hell already. Like, I would have expected that to happen in this movie. Right. Like, I think I thought this was Constantine's origin story. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not what no, it was. Get it, but and, yeah. Right. And and so I I think he was already so in the know because we were just in his life that I was expected to keep up. Right. And on my first watch, I couldn't. Okay. And so I didn't really think about it in those same terms, but reframing it as this isn't actually his story. This is a story that he gradually becomes a part of makes that transition feel better to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And the the film, I think, tries to do some work in that because the point at which he gets involved is the point at which Angela watches the video and thinks she sees her sister saying Constantine to her. So she's like, oh, he's clearly a thing. I need to get involved with him. But that's when they meet at that point. It's the third time they're meeting. We've had the great moment in the lift. We've had the great moment in the church. And Mm -hmm. now she's actually going to him. It's it's not just a, they happen to meet. Although Mm -hmm. you could argue the, you know, destiny is trying to bring them together already. Mr. Constantine. I saw you. I remember. And then I saw you regular at the... Regular kismet. <laughs> like that. He did, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listening to the commentary, it was really interesting because they actually tried to do it that they always... I don't think they always, and this is where it falls down, but they tried to have him always moving left to right in the film and her always moving right to left in the film. And certainly the elevator hmm. scene, you can see it. They're walking those ways. Right. So that... As the film goes on, it feels like they're coming closer together from the sides inwards, which is w- would be nice if it was there, but I don't think it's pulled off. I don't think they were able to do that because mm. you can't do my character only moves left to right for the first third half of the film, <laughs> whatever. Right? It is. Yeah. Hmm. But I, I do, I, I do like that there are two stories going on here, and this is what the critics didn't like. They didn't like the fact that there were lots of plots and you had to run to catch up. And then some got resolved, some didn't get resolved, some were going on, there's, aren't they supposed to kiss at the end, this kind of thing, which I know we'll come to. Um, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I love that this is so different to our introduction to Ted, who was obviously learning about time travel and yes. doing his thing. Johnny Utah, who's learning to surf and do things. Kevin, Kevin, in The Devil's Advocate, who, um, was learning about hell and so on. Neo, Mr. Anderson, who's learning what the Matrix mm-hmm. is. And then you get to this and Keanu Reeves knows everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. I actually, you know, I saw you make this point in, in the outline and I was like, I know. Like, that's not true. Like, he's always been like the in the no guy. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, oh shit. Yep, the Matrix. Yep. Mm. You know, point break. Yep. Devil's advocate. Yep. I was like, wow, you're absolutely right. The only other one that I can think of would be Speed. Ah, speed. Because he was the se- he was a seasoned agent yes, in that movie. Yeah. Um, but but I I feel like it's hard to compare because none of his movies are really very similar. Like Keanu is not typecast. Mm. Everything he does is, unless it's just typecast as being like the weird guy. A bit of a blank slate. We can all put ourselves in the shoes of. Um, yeah, and, and even Speed is a bit like Point Break. It's the situation he is uncovering as he goes. Right, yeah. You know, he still knows stuff, but he's still like, how do I deal with it in this situation? That kind of thing. 
Right. But he's not the fresh out of the academy mm. rookie agent. Mm. The reason I got to the this point to thinking about this was I, I was thinking back on our, our conversations for Point Break and Devil's Advocate and feeling like we hadn't talked much about Keanu. I was like, that's okay. interesting. It's Keanu Reeves month. These are Keanu Reeves films. Why have we not talked much about him? It's because he's part of a bigger hole than those others. Mm-hmm. It's him and Patrick Swayze and Laurie Petty. And it's him and Al Pacino um, and Charlie Theron. In, in this film, although there is Rachel Weisz, this we are so much in his point of view, and this film is mm-hmm. so much about what he does. This is a Keanu vehicle. This is his film. Yes, they they changed the character. The character was supposed to is designed to look like Sting, is from England, based in London, uh, and an alcoholic. And they've gone, no, we're going to make changes. He's now going to look like Keanu Reeves, and he's going to speak with a broad <laughs> American accent. So I think there is a lot we can talk about Keanu coming into his own here and getting a film of his own. Mm-hmm. Do you think it tells us anything about his career, his style? I still feel like Keanu doesn't have much of a style that can be easily defined okay. because Ke- Keanu is, I don't know, what would you call him, a maverick? Like he <laughs> does what he wants when he wants. Mm. He doesn't do what people expect him to do. Mm. And, and maybe this is one of those movies that nobody would have expected Keanu to do. Because like you said, Constantine is supposed to be British. He's supposed to look like Sting. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody would ever think of the character Constantine and say, oh, let's make Keanu do that, right? Um, and, and so maybe this is just another example of that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like his style is not having a style. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I've, I've seen him described as, I always feel he's someone you can project onto very easily. Yes. You can just enjoy yeah. that role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did read, I was reading a review, not necessarily a review, but somebody wrote an article about Constantine. And one of the points they made was that Keanu Reeves is a really good actor and he always tends to rise up to the level of who he's acting against. Mm -hmm. Like he did with Al Pacino, like he did here with Tilda Swinton and Rachel Weisz, Mm -hmm. who both were at this point, I think, slightly more well-known than he was. Or maybe... I'd say not my knowledge I'd, of them yeah. at this time period is just more than him. Okay, um, but Keanu is very good at adapting at to the material to those around him, and that's something about him that I always appreciate. Right. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, and yes, he is someone who can act against people, but because he just delivers the material and seems so comfortable, whatever part he's playing. Whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen him, like I've said, do some villainous stuff. I've seen him do some heroic stuff. I've seen him do some dumb stuff. And he's always Keanu. Just a different take on Keanu. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. zen with it. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Rachel Weiss. She, it, it's interesting because like you, you know, the, the mummy is the first thing I think of her in. Mm-hmm. But she's not particularly a genre actress. No. Um, she does a lot of sort of drama, I think is probably the best way to put it. And some rom-com, but she is a very capable actress. She is. I don't actually think I looked up her filmography. Okay. Because I just you knew, so like, well. even yeah. if I have seen other things that she's in, even when I see her, I'm like, oh, that's Evie. Right. <laughs> you know, so for me, that's the embodiment of Rachel Weiss, And so it just didn't make sense. I mean, I could probably list 10 or 15 movies that she's been mm. in. But I don't remember them for her. Or I don't remember her for them. Yeah. However you want to say that. So That's very fair. And then we have a whole supporting cast that I said we we're going to return to. Shia LaBeouf. Shia mm. LaBeouf. Um, <laughs> as Chaz. So Chaz is always Constantine's sidekick. Usually a okay. little bit older than John. 
in this, they decided to cast Shire, who was on the rise at this point. I think Indiana Jones 4 had just come out or was about to come out. So, you know, he was... I think this was first. Okay. But this was in his, you know, rising star period. Um, I quite like his arc in it. Really? Yeah. I feel like if you could take anything out of this movie, you could take his character out. Yes, absolutely you could. He is not necessary for, for the thing. But I think it's interesting to see him wanting to step up. And then I like that he clearly has knowledge. And they go, okay, actually, this kid could be useful. And we do need a sidekick hand at the end, particularly as John is looking so ill at that point. He's clearly right. you know, failing. Half-breeds are most vulnerable when, they're, when their outer skin is breached by holy water. Certain objects... Most notably, either of the two crosses of Steria have been used by even the unordained to bless and sanctify all commonly occurring waters. Even rain. Maybe. Yeah. You sit on the bench if you're not ready to play, right? So you wouldn't happen to have one of those enchanted crosses sitting around here in a cabinet or something maybe we could take with us. But I, and it probably comes down to the moment, that moment where they go to the hospital and he is actually clearly scared. He has the knowledge, but he's never had the experience. And John mm-hmm. does give him a half smile and a bit of reassurance. And it is just, actually, I've, I've liked they've gotten to this point where he's like, yeah, okay, maybe you could do this thing and take mm-hmm. over from me. Okay. I think it works. And it it softens Constantine a little bit, which the film maybe. could do with doing. Yeah. I think. I, I think because he is such an asshole. <laughs> and he's a great character for that. You know, he's interesting and he's funny and he's a bit different. But it could go too far and hmm. just be a character you don't like. Okay. I think I felt like Shia LaBeouf was acting in a different movie than everybody oh, else really? was. <laughs> yes. Like, the way he delivered his lines, the way he looked, his general energy mm. was very different tonally than the entire rest of the movie. Okay. And maybe it was intended to be a light spot in the movie, mm. and that's why. But it felt like it felt jarring. Okay. I guess. I mean, I think Shia LaBeouf is a great actor. Oh, I do, okay. and I, I think he, the character that he played, he played it very well. Right. But I don't think he played it so that it fit with the rest of okay. what we were doing. And I would imagine if you are trying to get into and decipher the film to have something that's actually like this feels like a distraction i could do mm. without thinking about this so i could focus on the rest of it would be an annoyance was it yeah, yeah. that's a good question i'm not sure annoyed is what i felt okay. maybe a little and honestly i think i was mostly annoyed that his name was chaz okay. <laughs> because i didn't know that that was actually a thing okay. like no. i didn't know that in the comic books that was like they were saying true to the character's yeah. name like i hear chaz and i think floppy do shared you know, floppy-haired douchebag. Like, okay. I equate those things together. Um, Chaz is just a bad name for me. Other than that, I think he just felt very hyper. He felt like a hyper little puppy. Famous Chazes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no opinion of the name Chaz, to be honest with you. So I'm like, okay. I'm really interested in this. Yeah, the only one that's coming up is Chaz and Dave, which is a sort of cockney duo over here interesting Hmm. okay um papa midnight so uh uh, g-man hounsu hounsu g-man i am probably massacring that 
who we've seen in Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, um, Shazam. Yeah, this guy's done some comic book acting, but this mm-hmm. is his first comic book uh, appearance. That, really? That, that, oh, this was his first. That I know of. Um, I quite enjoy him. And again, I like that he gives Constantine a friend that he... A friend, a peer, an equal. I don't know you know, the right term for it, but someone that is in this world so utterly with him that he's not having to be the mentor coach type to. Right. Well, it was a little bit unclear to me what he was, mm-hmm. who he was. Yeah. Like, I think I assumed he was a demon, okay. but I don't know for sure. And even if he was, what was his purpose? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, he ended up giving help. Like he, he was so... I'm not going to help you do anything because I have to maintain balance and be neutral so that I'm not taking a side. And then it was, okay, fine. You're forcing me. I'm going to help you. But no, you're actually my friend, so I'm just going to help you anyway. That's kind of like the progression it took. And I still don't actually know, was he human or demon? I never thought he was an angel. Right. No, he is. He is. uh, He's another version of John, effectively. Someone else. Really? Peddles in magics and the occult and so on, but he has decided to be neutral. Although he used to, I think okay. he used the point is he used to be good in inverted commas, um, hmm. and is now running this bar and providing a place of neutrality in the middle, which I can see uh, that lends it to that sort of Doctor Strange thing. The uh, Chibato Ejiofor's character at the end of Doctor Strange, who decides to sort of restore the balance because he's become so jaded. To the right. use of magic and the use of dark magic and good magic and this kind of thing. I, I can sort of see that being Papa Midnight's character. But I love mm-hmm. the interactions between them because this fantastical occult stuff and religious stuff becomes so ordinary to them. Right. The, the, the point when he gets the electric chair and he's just like, which way is east? And the guy just points. Of course, well, they always know what way is east because that's an important thing they always have to know as part of their job. Just right. moments like that. It... it, it makes the world feel more realistic and like it has a history that star wars thing of you mm-hmm. know coming into the middle of a world right um, right i think that that actual scene where he asked which way is east and he pointed that actually lended um to my thinking that he was a demon or at least some sort of supernatural creature right, okay. because it's yeah, yeah. so magical to me to know <laughs> which direction anything is i mean when i lived in denver i always knew what the cardinal directions were because the mountains were always west <laughs> <laughs> because it's flat and then there's mountains. Right. So if you can see the mountains, it's west. And so Got you it. turn around and that's east. Nice. Anywhere else nice. in the world that I have been, I have no idea. <laughs> and so it's like absolutely magical that somebody can do that. Um, so it's like he can't possibly be human. He knows where his east is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then let's also come to the demon Balthazar. Gavin Vosdale. I spent the entire movie going, who is that? Like, I recognize him. I know I've seen that face before, but I did not know who he was. And then I saw afterwards it was Gavin Rossdale. And I was like, oh, my God, of course, that's Gavin Rossdale. Glycerin is one of my favorite songs. And Come Down was one of the first songs I learned to play on bass, you know. (laughs) I don't think I could name a single Bush song. (laughs) The only reason that I know what he looks like is because he was married to Gwen Stefani for so many years. That's fair. Um, What did you make of Balthazar the demon with the coin? 
Did anything? I expected him to be... What, what am I trying to say? I expected him to have more of an impact on the plot than he did. Right. Okay. Honestly, mm. they set him up to be this major thing, and then he wasn't. Mm. You know, I mean, he influenced Hennessy to death, mm. and then he died. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Yeah. You that- know, like, they set him up to do so much more to be such a bigger player, and then he just wasn't. Yeah. This really interesting sort of American psycho yuppie style thing to him yeah uh, i'm just gonna this is one reference to again the episode from the, that I did with Catherine. she picked up a really nice thing it's very reminiscent of the demon in good omens it's got that sort of vibe of enjoying earthly pleasures whilst being mm. a demon and, it, and it's really interesting again listening to the thing of us going oh it'd be interesting to see what david tennant does with that because david tennant mm-hmm. does something very different with it <laughs> yeah very different so I think that's why I'm I'm having a hard time with that. But part of that though is because I'm having I'm blanking. Like I can think of Aziraphale's name, and I cannot think of the demon's name in Good Omens. What is his name? Crowley. 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 Yep. That's his name. Crowley. Mr. Crowley. Crowley. His intention was to enjoy life, not to be evil. Balthazar, I think his intention was to be evil. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it but he wanted time. to yeah. be evil while enjoying life. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, I can see a little bit of that connection. Mm-hmm. But I also think that David Tennant's clouding my opinion on that. Well, yeah, I imagine that might. Okay. (laughs) So so those are the the sort of major characters. There are other characters. There's the scavenger. There's B-Man and Hennessy, like you say. They're they're much smaller parts of it. I think they are particularly there to move the plot along and be useful devices. Yes. Um, Is there more on the the deeper stuff of the plot that it gives us that we want to go into? I, I, I think I'm getting a vibe from you that you're just like, yeah, I might go and rewatch this this weekend. Probably not this weekend, but okay. I do want to rewatch mm. it. This should definitely go on the list to, to revisit then at some point, shouldn't it? Yeah. Yes, we should do that. Absolutely. But I mean, there are other world building things that I still don't understand. And it may just be something that the movie is telling us this is how this works in this world. And you just have to accept okay. it. Like the idea that using a reflection to banish a demon. Mm. Because we saw that more than once. Mm. Um, and that, and I actually didn't understand that's what happened at the end until I read it. Right. Somebody pointed that out to me. Um, but that's what Satan did to get yeah, Mammon yeah. back. Yeah, with the puddle. Um, I've never read about that in lore, any sort of like supernatural lore. When mm-hmm. I think of reflections, I think of vampires mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they don't have them. I don't think that having a reflection would trap you or remove you or banish you i i don't know quite what the right word is so that is new to me that's a new piece of this sort of fiction yeah i don't know that it comes from anything i would love to hear this is the sort of thing if it does exist we've got some very clever listeners who know about theology and religion and Mm -hmm. deeper um folklore i'd love to know if it is a thing i i i enjoy it in this because there's a mix of that what was the thing of the vanity of demons so when he's doing that exism mm. at, at, at the beginning, he's like smiley vain prick and shows it itself. And that's how he pulls it Right. Out. And then the demon is all like, oh, I'm so pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think I, I wonder if it's just a, you know, in mirrors, you can see an alternate world. Okay, maybe because mirrors are often used as portals. Exactly. Yeah. In fiction. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that is what but, it is. But okay. no, you're absolutely right. It doesn't tell you what that is. I've never really considered it. Just. Hmm. 
You just accept it. It just gives it to you as something. Yeah, like you say, that, that sort exists. of portal thing, you know, Alice through the looking glass and so on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I just want to mention is that I do think that the effects in this movie were done very well. Yeah, right. Particularly Balthazar's transition. Okay, yeah. From beautiful Gavin Rosdale <laughs> to half demon face because the holy waters, you know, burned it yeah. away. And then even at the end where he's been exploded and he's still alive. Yeah. And you see his face in two different parts, like the eyes are moving and he's talking. Mm. Like that was done very, very well. And, and the eye is reacting. The eye actually mm-hmm. like opens when it sees that it's about to be destroyed. You know, it looks right. surprised, yeah. it, although all you can see is a piece of his face that is the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, the, the I mean, the big, big effect shot is the vermin demon, the insects and crabs and snakes oh, yeah. and things. Yeah. Um, and the the director actually said, yeah, I was told I could do that with eight effect shots, and I did it. And effectively, when he picks up the, the sort of broken stick thing and hits it, in the original version, that's when he kills it. But he went back to them, he's like, this would be so much better if it could go on another, you know, 30 seconds, minute longer, and be a bigger piece. So they gave him more mm-hmm. budget to go and do that longer. And yeah, that works, because it's really creepy. Yes, the- it was absolutely really... I actually forgot about that demon until just now, but you're right, it was... It looked really good. Mm. Yeah, and things like the the spider that he traps under the glass. Pretty sure that was CG. I doubt they would trap a spider in a um, smoke filled glass. I don't know. <laughs> you hope so. Maybe I they would have in two thousand and five. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, all the way through, there is. It, it's a thing I talked about. So in when we did the film festival um, back in August, we showed Fight Club, and I talked about Fight Club's place in sort of cinema history. And and that year, nineteen ninety nine, is a really interesting year because that's the start of proper integration to cg graphic you know Mm -hmm. effects as we know them integrated into a story and not in a big way not in a jurassic park jar jar binks everyone's in front of a blue screen in background just pieces here and there that we're supplementing with cg and fight club Mm -hmm. has a number of them just moments that are like extra graphics that come on and this film takes it even further because there are big pieces like a vermin demon um mm-hmm. and things outside but it is it makes this fantastical world very accessible in the now because it because right. it does feel like our world that it's in mm-hmm. yes uh, and i love the way that that it does it yeah yeah absolutely did you notice how um walking through the streets there were billboards everywhere and most of them were religious in nature yeah except for the one chevy one yeah but even that is you know and, and that was clearly put there as that point Apparently, the yes. Got Faith one was just there when they filmed. Really? Yeah. They were like, okay, we okay. need to film here because that signs up. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was another one. There was a billboard for K-Love, which is a contemporary Christian radio oh, station. Oh, really? Okay. Nice. It was very prominent in one of the shots um, when he was walking down the street. Oh, I was like, huh. Okay. And I probably, if I used to listen to K-Love, nice. um, like almost exclusively, so that's probably why I recognized it. But I just thought it was, you know, between that and then the Got Faith and... I think there were a few others that I was just like, wow, I wonder if they did all that on purpose mm. or if it's just happenstance. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. That that one they definitely mentioned as happenstance. The rest they didn't mention, so I assume they were done as, we're going to mm. put this up because we okay. want these things here. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> so let's, She's your favorite, let's so let's, let's do yeah. it. She's in two scenes, and she is still the thing I think of when I think of this film. Uh, and there's a couple of shots in there that particularly stand out. Mm-hmm. 
the shot when he's walking towards her and you see those wings spread behind her that's just utterly yes. glorious and the bit when he calls her into the light and she lands on him with her foot pressing him and holding him down in just such a mm-hmm. you know position of superiority right just wonderful but every element of her performance stands out and is incredible and there are some lines in there that you know when she lands on him with a foot on him and she goes you know your ego is i can't remember what the line is your ego is incredible or something that could be a really <laughs> weak line yeah but she utterly believes it and she delivers it she is this character she is utterly doing it. i'm saying she i suspect she might be the sort of person who wants to be called an actor and would go by they yes uh, possibly because i don't know what pronoun to use for gabriel here I don't know if they cast Hilda because it is an androgynous. I'm not going to say androgynous woman because she's not androgynous, but she plays it as an androgyn. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And you you just don't know, and it doesn't matter. Angels don't have a right. gender, a sex. So, mm-hmm. but the gloriousness of of almost every moment that she does, the the bit we were talking about earlier, where she, she you know, he is trying to barter with her. He's going through stages of grief. And he's depressed. He's trying to bargain. He's like, you know, but what haven't I done enough? Haven't I, you know, I've done this, I've done this, haven't I done enough? And he's just then sat deflated. And she kneels in front of him and there's something maternal about it. Her son, she's coming in front. So she's, I think she might even take his hands. And there's also something very intimate about it because she gets so close to him. You are going to die young because you smoked 30 cigarettes a day since you were 15. And you're going to go to hell. Because of the life you took. You know, she's being soft, she's being gentle. You're fucked. And it's just, it's... <laughs> yeah. It's delivered in an intimate maternal way, but it's so harsh. And it's... It is, She's yes. not as caring as she's coming across. So the, you know, juxtaposition of those two things really, really does stand out. It's, it's terrific. Right. And, and you know that she's yeah. not actually the sympathetic character that perhaps an angel should be. Right. And then at the end, when she's been stripped of her wings yep. and she starts goading him on to kill her. Right. Do you want revenge? Is that what you're thinking right now? Do it. Be the hand of God. It's your choice. It's always been your choice. And and she's doing it, I think, for two reasons. One, because she doesn't want to experience life as a Absolutely. human. Absolutely. Who would? But two, <laughs> she really thinks that that would benefit him somehow. Like, let him get the vengeance that he's feeling. Not in a, if you do this, you're going to go to heaven sort of yeah. way. But, you know, if you do this, you'll feel better. I- Kind yeah, of way. I, I think, yes, it would, it would make him emotionally feel better, but not spiritually. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely yes. that first point. And her reaction when he punches her and her. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, she's feeling pain for the first time. What is this feeling? I kind of like it, but oh my God, it hurts. Just everything uh, is there on her that you can see it. It's wonderful. Yes. And they're walking away and she's like. You could have shot me, John. You chose a higher path. Look how well you're doing. 
Yeah, yeah. Tilda Swinton was spectacular. And for only being in two scenes, you feel like it takes up half the movie. Mm, Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it is a well-written character that believes they are doing the right thing for the right reasons. And then counter that with the appearance of Peter Stormare as Satan. That was lovely. It, it was casting they wanted. So, so you know, very good they got him. But everything he does with the character, everything they do with the character, it's just... It's creepy and evil and villainous, whilst also being delightful. You're saying lovely. I, yes. mean, I mean, it's bizarre to say that about the appearance of Satan. But it would be so easy to make him pitchfork, you know, fork tail and, and angry. I mean, to have him coming out in a white suit. Mm, that white linen suit, almost like he is God. Or, you know, Wait, I thought he was for a minute. And then I was like, why does God have black stuff on his feet? And yeah. then I figured it out. He has to stain you know? the earth to walk on it. It's just, ah. Oh, yeah. So deep in yeah, his own no, mythology. he did it. It's a very different take on the character than Al Pacino, but they're mm. both equally valid, I yeah. think, and both spectacularly yeah. done. Al Pacino is what you would do with the first take. Angry and shouty <laughs> and victorious and gloating and all of the seven sins, like we talked about. This is delightful and gleeful about other people's suffering, and it's a bit disturbing. And right. it's a bit, you know, the fact that he can talk about, oh, you've cut your wrist, so the tendons have gone, and that's why you don't have hand control. <laughs> and oh, yeah, no, go ahead and smoke. <laughs> I have shares in it. Like, oh god, <laughs> this is dark. <laughs> I mean, it's Satan. He needs to be dark, right? Mm. But yeah, yeah. Uh, one one scene with that character, and it's as powerful as everything else in the film. You know, the the fact yeah. that Gabriel can't smite him at the end. And and he again glories in that fact. Um, mm-hmm. His anger at not being able to take John to hell. Then that's when the anger comes. But the way they do mm-hmm. that, like we've seen the MCU do with you know trying to pick up Mjolnir and stuff, that mm-hmm. the, the gr- grounding up the earth as you're trying to drag this thing an immovable object. Brilliant. Yeah, that was really nice. Brilliant. Really nice. And then his vengeance mm. at the end, you know, when he's like, okay, fine, I can't take you. Then I'm going to make it so that you can't die right now. Yeah. And we'll see if you actually earn this. Mm. And he is betting that he's still going to end up back in hell. Yeah. And I think that was a twist that was unexpected. Yeah. On top, you know, a twist on a twist. Absolutely. It speaks to a character who is a planner, who does scheme mm-hmm. and come up with things and like, no, I, I can't accept defeat. I will accept a draw. And, and then right. we'll play again yeah. next time. Yeah, really good. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And then there's the humour of it all. And and that moment particularly, John Constantine is ascending to heaven. There are pearly gates in front of him. <laughs> and he throws the middle finger at Satan as he's rising. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I said earlier, the character is just such an asshole and you get it all the way through. And it's funny. And I don't know how you pull that off because it would be so easy, like I say, to make this character you don't care about and you don't want to like. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we'll talk about Michelle Monaghan in a minute. I think if she was in the film properly, it would make the character too dark. The fact that, you know, he is an asshole to Rachel Weisz the first time he sees her and he puts a spider under glass and blows smoke into it and is a uh, crap to everyone around him. But yet mm-hmm. you still want to see what he does and you still want to hope yes. he succeeds. Yes. I don't know how you do that. You have to be Keanu Reeves. Be Keanu. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I'd come it, it, it just in talking there it reminded me Michelle Monaghan. You see one shot of her at the end of the film, but she was in this film as a character that they filmed. His lover, who is a demon, who when he finds out he's dying, he goes and that's the big scene with her where they are in bed together. Um, with him <laughs> talking about what's happening and her laughing at him because he's dying. I think seeing him with someone that he is using for physical pleasure but doesn't care about would drive it too far into a dark place. Was that a cut scene yes. or was that scene in... Uh, okay, I was going to no, say, because yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. No, so, yeah, they filmed all this. I think it is in this deleted scenes, but it was utterly taken out. And then at the very, very end of the film, when he goes, he, he lights the thing and all the holy water comes down on the demons, she's the mm-hmm. demon who realizes her skin is melty and goes, holy water. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. And that's the only shot left of this character who was in throughout the film. Okay. And I, and I agree with the choice there, personally. Right. Yeah, I know that would have been really dark if she had been introduced as someone he had a relationship mm. with and then he just yeah did that. Yeah, absolutely. That way dark. Okay. Mm. Speaking of relationships, yeah. I have to say I am very, very happy that they did not end with yeah. that kiss with... John and and what's her face Angela, Angela mm. Rachel whatever like I like that they kept like I think there was a three beat on it where yeah. they kept leading up to it yeah he leans past you know like they almost the do on, yeah. and yeah mm. and then they don't do it I was so happy they didn't do it because this was not a romance no. and doesn't need it there was no hint other than those moments mm. you know and and those are moments that are explainable because you know you're in the heat of the moment there's a lot of you know, high emotions and stuff, but these two people didn't know each other mm-hmm. at all. They knew nothing about each other. They spent what what did what was this, two days in the movie? Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So for them not to do that, like the obvious choice was to make it a romance and have them live happily ever after. Yeah. And I love, love, love that they did. Yeah, it's wonderful. And and it sets it up if there was to be a sequel that they could be together and working as partners mm-hmm. and that would be fine. But it also sets it up that stuff he does goes against her code and her moral code or her code as a police officer. So right. it brings him into conflict with it. And, you know, it leaves your writing so open to do so many interesting things. But the fact that they get yep. so close to it. And, and, and again, apparently there was the way it was originally written is like the bit in the car where he leans past her and you think they're going to kiss and he's actually putting the necklace on her. When he gets mm-hmm. out of the car, she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like because she wants it but actually it's better to say like they would if one of them took a move but right yeah it's nice it's very yeah, nicely done i enjoyed that um the last thing that i really really liked about this and it's just going back again one to tilda swinton and two how the movie was mm-hmm. filmed the shot where um right after john has slit his wrist mm-hmm. and we get that moment where time stops mm. because satan is coming forth yeah. And they linger, they kind of move around, and we see Tilda Swinton frozen yep. with the Spear of Destiny going towards Rachel Weiss's character. It's beautiful. Mm. It's a beautiful shot. It's It doesn't appear, like, obviously, a lot of it is done in CG, but it doesn't appear immediately recognizably that way. Like, it looks real. Yeah. It, and I, I don't know another way to explain that, it, you know, the way they go around it in in 3D and everything. And I just was watching it thinking that's really beautiful. Yeah, it's so well done. I, I suspect it's something like some of the Matrix stuff they did of multiple cameras and, and mm-hmm. in, interspersing them with 
computer generated shots to make up more frames. Right. Um, yeah. But then the point where Satan goes through the doors and the doors blast outwards and he's walking through all the shattered glass uh, towards them and the shattered glass just bouncing off him. A, a mm-hmm. massive CG shot, but like you said earlier, the effects are great and they make it work. They are. It's, it adds to the fantasy of it really nicely. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's done really well. Yep. I remember the thing I was going to say uh, where we were talking about the romance of it. I love there there are hints and this this is just such a small moment when he's putting the feet in water to go to hell with the cat and she says, doesn't need mm-hmm. to be hot or cold. I don't mm-hmm. even think he answers her and he just puts his feet and we carry on. And then later when he does the being electrocuted thing with Papa Midnight, Papa Midnight throws the water on the floor and he puts his feet in it. He's like, oh, it's cold. So yeah, it tells yeah, you he, he was being a, having a bit of bravado with her earlier and a bit like macho, macho. Oh, yeah. oh, it doesn't matter. I can take whatever you give me. He would have rather it would have been warmed up a bit. <laughs> oh, you know, I didn't even catch yeah, that. It's, just, it's such a small thing. It's lovely because it then goes into, again, a big effects thing of him seeing the progression of the Spear of Destiny, the Spear of Longinus, which again is really nicely done because we saw those shots of the scavenger with the Spear of Destiny looking over his shoulder and it turns out every time he looked over his shoulder, John was there seeing him. Mm-hmm. Again, small stuff, but good writing, right. sort of informing what has come before, reframing it, helping us understand what we've seen. Yes. But the film is expecting you to have kept up with it. Yes. Mm. And I imagine after a couple more watches, I will be able to keep up with it. Yeah, absolutely. Just, there's a lot going on. It's yeah. It's busy. It's chaotic. There's so much on the screen in every shot. Mm. And the film has a lot of its own mythology, even that, you know, the electrocution bit, the fact that he's using a chair that many people were killed in, a, a, an execution chair, mm-hmm. to then um, see something that happened elsewhere. And the fact that the thing they're seeing that happened elsewhere, you know, they're using this very sort of modern technology to spy on someone who found the tip of the spear that killed Christ. Right. <laughs> like, you know, they're, there's a combination of the modern every day and every day, maybe a little bit, yeah. Uh, and the mythological mm-hmm. religious stuff. Yeah, it's great. It's a nice take on the world because it would be so easy to be, oh, this was from the Crusades, this was from this, this was from, right. this was from you know, 1600, and this was from 500 AD and all this. No, it's cool to use modern stuff. Yeah, I think I would like more education on how this world works. Yeah, right. I think that's where right. I am. The Constantine TV series goes very hard into the, the sort of Buffy supernatural stuff of... okay. Circles of Salt, pentagrams, speaking Latin to cast a thing. Right. It happened in most episodes and it got a bit tired by the 13th episode and then it got cancelled. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So is is the TV show less balance of good and evil? Like no God versus Satan betting on humanity? Mm, yeah, it's a little bit more Buffy, I would say. Okay. I, I think that is in there and it got curtailed before they could tell the bigger picture stuff they wanted to tell. Um, Because they were setting up a sort of bigger arc. And there is an angel that's helping him. So some of it's there, but in the same way, like it is there in Buffy. These are demons and creatures from hell. Right. Um, But we don't necessarily think about it in a religious context. Right. Okay. He's he's better once he's in Legends. Because at that point, they're just like, it's magic. He speaks three words and he can do the thing. It's fine. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) And they they basically only do like rings of salt when someone's going to break the ring. Right. Like that's the okay. only time they do it. The the angel way to do it. It's like other at other times it doesn't matter because it's clearly not going to be a thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Constantine? 
I don't think so. I'm really pleased to have come to this because it is a film that I do love so much and have watched mm-hmm. so much. Is there, any, you know, we've gone a lot into your sort of thoughts and questions on it. Is there anything else that we wanted to cover for your questions of it? I think I just, I really hope they do make a sequel one day. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. Yeah. I know that Keanu Reeves has said he would like to come back and play this character. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think they do have stories they could tell. There are places they could go. I mean, it's a complete story and and what it is. So if they never do, it's fine. But I would like more. Mm. So I am pro-sequel. Okay, nice. I think we will try and revisit this when we start doing revisiting things. Um, I'm assuming you didn't watch the end of the credits? No. Post-credit sequence. (sighs) They weren't doing that in 2005. What in the world? Right. What did I miss? I think I didn't see this until last year. Okay. I think that's how much I didn't expect there to be a thing. And it's a really small thing. It's he visits Chaz's grave. And Chaz appears behind him with angel wings. Aww. Yeah, and flies off to heaven. So. Okay. Aww. But, but also in the sort of angelic outfit that Tilda was in. So there was an implication maybe he was a half-breed. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. If you would like to join in the conversation, if you have thoughts on Constantine, if you've seen Constantine um, and you want to put in your take on these characters and these stories, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can also email us if you want to. We're at podcast at eloquentgushing.com or you can leave a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. Pop Culturally Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. So any amount you can give, even just $1 a month, will give you access to exclusive content while also helping support our network and develop new shows. To find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we'll be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about John Wick. Finally. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And they call it the balance. I call it hypocritical bullshit. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.